Did you, yes, you make a lot of money from the cryptocurrency craze? Or maybe you even know somebody that quit their full-time job. Or were you one of those persons that sat on the sidelines, didn't even know what cryptocurrency was, and maybe do you didn't understand what blockchain technology behind it was? Well, you're in luck because you want to listen to today's episode. Yes, blockchain technology and cryptocurrency have been around the top global buzzwords in the last five years. I mean, its popularity has, has been expanding more than ever to the point that it now touches industries like banking, healthcare, government, even music. So what do you think? Is blockchain tech technology really the future? Well, you already know. Stay tuned to our episode and to learn more. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Dapper Dollars podcast, where we answer your financial questions, but a bit with style. I'm in Irvine. We also have George and we're your host for the show. So, George, what are we talking about today? So today we're talking about blockchain and crypto. Uh, so chances are you've heard of cryptocurrency by now, you know, a digital and virtual currency secured by cryptography and based on the network that is distributed across a large number of computers or perhaps you may have followed the recent news regarding the bankruptcy of FTX, you know, a major cryptocurrency exchange. Yet, however, despite the current climate, blockchain remains a growing presence in mainstream e economy. Um, you know, from the fire, from the time when Elon Musk, you know, sent that first tweet in 2021 to major players like Barclays, Microsoft and Starbucks, to name a few, are following suit with adoption. We hope to highlight on the experience of our guest as an entrepreneur and subject matter expert in this space to discuss blockchain technology. So who are we speaking with today? Well, today we have the pleasure to introduce Dr. Simon Mack. Dr. Mack is the Executive Director and Professor of Entrepreneurship at the SMU Cox School of Business. He is one of the leaders of SMU in researching and promoting blockchain entrepreneurship and created an MBA class around blockchain entrepreneurship. He has traveled around the world to research blockchain startups and is the founding faculty advisor for the SMU Blockchain Club and the SMU Fintech Club. Dr. Mack is also researching esports entrepreneurship and his latest being space entrepreneurship. Dr. Mack earned a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering at MIT, an MBA in Finance, and a PhD in Applied Science Systems Engineering from SMU. Dr. Mack is also the recipient of the Global Educator of the Year by the Dallas Global Chamber of Commerce. Welcome, Dr. Mack. Thank you, Durban. Thank you, George. Great to be here. Well, before we get started into the heat of things, uh, I wanted to start off with a fun icebreaker question with you. So let's say you won the lottery and you won $10 million. What would you do with that money? Well, Nirvan, uh, since you know me a little bit, I think my answer is not going to surprise you. But what I would do is I would take that $10 million and I would create a series of charter schools that are built and based on innovation and entrepreneurship. In other words, you would have a K-12 school that basically learns history, English, math, and science, all the basic education stuff, but using innovation and entrepreneurship as the framework. Nice, nice. That's such a that's such a unique answer that we've gotten because a lot of people have always like, ooh, would invest in something. And but I love how you've been such a giver and it kind of just shows what your personality is like. Thank you. I agree. I agree. I mean, I think people have like, you know, cited buying like private islands or, you know, going to trips. <laughs> but, you know, the fact that you chose to give back with that, like, yeah, that, that is a brilliant answer. I appreciate that. No, it's a, it's a fun question. I did think about the island, George. Awesome. Awesome. So I'll probably we'll, we'll, we'll get right into it then, um, Dr. Max. So you are the founding director for blockchain program initiatives at the Kairoth Institute for Entrepreneurship. You know, lev leveraging on your expertise in the space, uh, can you break down to our listeners what blockchain and cryptocurrency is? What is the correlation between the two? Sure, sure. So, you know, blockchain and, and really cryptocurrency became famous because of this, this cryptocurrency known as Bitcoin, right? And so if, if we can go all the way back to Bitcoin, uh, in a, uh, about 12 years ago, uh, someone by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto wrote a white paper uh, that basically introduces the topic of creating a, a payment system that is not controlled by any central authority, a decentralized payment system. And... One of the designs in this payment system 
is that the payment system would be run on computers that were donated basically by people on the network. And the way that these computers who are donating uh, their CPUs would get paid is through something called Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency. And so, so if you think about it, the original purpose of the, of the most famous cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, and the Bitcoin blockchain was to be a decentralized payment where the tokens, the crypto, was really meant to fund the project. And so that was the original spirit of blockchain and crypto, and that's the relationship of both of those. But that was in the early days. Now the relationship has diverged a little bit, and we're going to talk about that this this evening. Great. So I know a lot of people, when they dive into the topic of blockchain and cryptocurrency, uh, the, the word that you keep mentioning is decentralized. How would you compare and contrast to like our current monetary policy to how you would describe a decentralized system? Because I don't think people really understand what's being centralized in our current system and what's being decentralized in the cryptocurrency. Sure, sure. So let, let, let me uh, be a little bit more precise. In the cryptocurrency world, the only cryptocurrency that is truly decentralized is Bitcoin. All the other cryptocurrencies are owned by somebody. And that somebody is the person who created it, right? So I think uh, you mentioned, uh, I, I call it doggy coin, right? You guys remember <laughs> doggy coin, right? Doggy coin is actually owned by the people who created the doggy coin uh, blockchain. And so, so if I can go all the way back to the pure spirit of decentralization, think about payments in blockchain using Bitcoin. And your bond, George, I can send you guys money and nobody can say yes or no. That's very important. There is no authority to stop me from sending you money or to stop you from sending me money. That in its purest form is decentralization at work. In the real world, if you're not wanting to transfer money, especially if we transfer money overseas, you have, you have probably a dozen middlemen, right? And, uh, and including a very big middleman by the name of Swift. And they're in the middle of all of this, and believe me, and they all take a piece of the action. And so that's really what we mean by decentralization is that, you know, very libertarian idea that I do something and nobody can stop me from doing it. Assuming it's legal, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I mean, that, that, that's sort of a good question. But my, my question is, I, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people want to know is, is Satoshi secretly the richest guy in the world? So, so again, for your, for your listeners, so no one really knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is. We don't know if it's a man or a woman. We don't know if one person or, or a group of people. So this individual, this persona has decided to stay a, a secret. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, you hear early stories of people who are playing around with Bitcoin and they would just throw, you know, mess around with thousands of Bitcoin here and there and here and there. And they would put it in their uh, uh, in their uh, wallet, you know, their, their digital wallets or their disk hard wallets on the disk drive. And they would throw it away. So so, you know how uh, they say that, that there's in theory, 23 million Bitcoins, right, is the is the possible number. But the but we believe maybe as much as half of it. We don't really know where it is. So so to your answer, George, maybe Satoshi actually does have all of those. <laughs> I, this leads to my next question. So kind of like what you mentioned, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, um, especially like the creation or even I think uh, I was recently like Jamie Diamond mentioned something about he thinks it's kind of like a, 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 a foozy, like it just might not happen, even though. JP Morgan has a blockchain program and a crypto, sorry, a cryptocurrency program utilizing the blockchain technology. So there's so much happening right now. And given like the events that happened, even especially the last 12 months, can you share your perspective on your current, on the current blockchain and slash cryptocurrency environment? Sure, sure. So let me talk about JP Morgan for a minute. So when Jamie Dimon first came out, I mean, he was hated, hated it, but he was actually pushed there by his customers. And so his customers pushed J.P. Morgan to get in there. And so J.P. Morgan created the J.P. JPM coin, right? And so and so the whole idea of JPM coin was to really avoid SWIFT. And so you basically put money. You, you're you're in Egypt, 
and and you put money into the JPM coin and the JPM coin sends it over to the U.S. and then it changes it into the U.S. dollar, completely avoiding all the financial things. Uh, that that upset a lot of different people in the in the food chain, as you can imagine. Uh, so so I think that's that's uh, so Jamie Dimon, I guess, uh, and J.P. Morgan, they've sort of come back into it. So here's kind of where I, I am. I, I call myself self a purist. What that means is that I got involved in blockchain almost 10 years ago now, uh, maybe seven, eight years ago, because I believe in the purpose of blockchain and decentralization, which is to use the basic blockchain technology, which is a networking technology, right, to solve the world's toughest, craziest problems and use cryptocurrency to fund the project because no sane person normally would fund it. Right, because these project because these projects are like so crazy, trying to solve some of the hardest problems. Right, that was the spirit, and that to me really resonated with me. Unfortunately, soon after, not soon after that, uh, the uh, the 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 whole blockchain spirit of solving the world's problems was took a, took a hundred and eighty degree turn, and everybody focused on the crypto. Remember in the early days, the crypto was meant to fund the project. Well, some very, very smart individual said, hey, who cares about the project? Let's just create the crypto. And then, and then let's just try to sell it, right? And in the early days, there was a lot of pump and dumping, right? Pumping and dumping. And so, and so that's how we got into this crypto situation that we're in right now. In a perfect world, we wouldn't be talking about the crypto. We would be talking about all the cool projects that blockchain is solving, right? The problems that we're solving in the world. And so, so that's kind of where, where I see where we've gone. And, and, it, and it's resulted in things like uh, FTX. You know, FTX basically made their money arbitraging. Right? Okay, great, you arbitrage, you made a lot of money for you and your investors, but you really didn't solve a problem in the world. You really didn't help society move forward, right? And so, and so I'd like to see uh, the original people who had the spirit come back into this movement and let's use your superpowers for good instead of using your superpowers just to, you know, just to make a few hundred more million. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with you making a couple of hundred million, but also solve, solve a problem in society. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, the fact that you spoke so much about the pros of that, um, I want to sort of highlight on a bit of the cons, like some, a few things that are making people kind of look, look the, the other way. So there's always been caution mass massage into, you know, the benefits of blockchain technology. I mean, for example, you know, when you have, when you speak of, uh, distributed control, there comes that low mitigation risk to shut down and, you know, we know there's been software hacks going going on for the last three years. There's been reports of stuff being stolen and stuff like that. And then you come into the uh, anonymity part, like, you know, so, you know, again, that guarantees you like what you own is yours. But there's also the likelihood that you have you can have your access shut, shut out if you lose your blockchain key, for example. So for listeners and viewers uh, that are scrambling, scratching their heads and thinking, um, how do I understand this better can you address this 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 fears yeah yeah so so let me let me talk about hacking all right um turns out most of the hacking that has been reported is because it's from the user accounts not on the blockchain itself okay so people you know give their passwords away or or they have they have low low security passwords and their their accounts get hacked that's one clarification on the hacking the second clarification on hacking that is on the blockchain, it's because it's owned by somebody and they, then they decide to change it. All right. And so that's why, again, going back to the Bitcoin blockchain, never been hacked. The Bitcoin blockchain has never been hacked. Now, Bitcoin accounts on exchanges have been hacked. So exchanges have been hacked, but not the blockchain itself. So that's very, very important. OK. And so. And so that's one of so that's one thing that's one way to think about the hacking is if you're going to buy crypto you got there's no such thing as one blockchain a lot of people get that confused there's 2000 3000 blockchains so the first question you need to ask before you buy crypto is whose blockchain is it on and who can change 
who, who has the rights to change how that blockchain behaves? That's a very important question, okay? And then in your exchange, you have to go and ask the exchange, okay, what kind of security uh, do you have for me? And oh, by the way, this is very, very recent. Uh, and it's, it's part of the current, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the downturn. When, when, a, when an exchange goes bankrupt, they're not FDIC insured. You lose all your crypto. That's a lot of people don't understand that, right? When you and I put money in a regular bank, it's FDIC insured, and a crypto exchange is not. So those are two things that your listeners definitely uh, need to be concerned about. That, that makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of people the takeaway would be that blue imprint of actually doing REM search. I guess people like that confusion of what do I do? What do I do? What do I look for? But I mean, you kind of speaking to like, Hey, these are steps you should, you should take. And I think that, that, that makes sense. So I, I really do appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, I mean, again, as a purist in a perfect world, the way that your, your, your uh, viewers would decide which crypto to buy would be based on which project resonates with them. Right. Because that would mean that's the project that means something for them and they want to go and support it. And even if it means they lose it all. Right. That's OK, because because they're in it to really support the project. And, oh, if they get a return, well, that's great, too. You know, so, again, that that's the original spirit of, of Bitcoin and uh, crypto. I think a lot of the listeners, I didn't share this about you, but uh, that you're uh, you've been part of a dot com startup. Right. And so. And we had the dot-com bubble burst, you know, back in the 90s. And then I wanted I was to, there. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you your opinion on this. Like, do you see any correlation, especially with the the, the different new coins, the altcoins coming out? Um, and then would you see a similarity between that? Or, and is it different in any, in any sense? Yeah. So, so here's the similarity. Greed. Greed is similar and pump and dump is similar. What is not similar is people say, oh, blockchain is like the internet. That is not true. Why? There's only one internet. All right. There are 3,000 blockchains. Nobody controls the internet. All right. Not really. Of course, you know, there are governments who can shut down the internet, but they don't control it. You see what I'm saying? Right? Shut down access to the internet, but they don't control it. Well, there, there are people who control these blockchains. And so, no, it is a it is a, a false comparison of the, the Internet with blockchain. And, and, and then in terms of other similarities, um, I would say from a from an adoption perspective. OK, what helped the Internet take off right in the early, early days of the Internet? People would say, what you're doing a website? Are you doing porn or gambling? Right. That was it which is just like blockchain. Remember that in the early days of blockchain, you're doing your, 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 your dark web, you know, whatever drugs, right? And so that's similar, okay? But what happened with blockchain is two killer apps came up that proved the internet worked. The first killer app was this little tiny company called Amazon. Amazon proved you can do business online and you can exchange money online. The second killer app was eBay. eBay proved regular folks can use the internet to do business. You see what I'm saying, right? What's missing now in blockchain is a killer app. Why? Because there's 3,000 blockchains. So what we need is a killer app. And you're probably thinking, Simon, what is a killer app in your eyes? <laughs> well, as Anirban mentioned, I'm also the faculty advisor for the eSports Club, SMU eSports Club. And so eSports was taken off like crazy and then it's now starting to flatten. Why? Because video games are really controlled by large corporations. And so they can, as soon as they control everything, it's centralized, video games are centralized. And so I believe one potential killer app on blockchain are video games on blockchain. That way it's open source. And every time Anirban and George, you and I kill each other and we buy a sword and all that, every time that happens, a little a little crypto gets deposited into the developer's account. 
Tell me you already have an IP on this. <laughs> this is for anybody online. You get, uh, that's why I'm sharing it with you guys. You know, I'm all about sharing, you know. And, uh, and so, but you see what I'm saying? Then you have an ecosystem where all the games are truly public. Nobody owns it and it can, and it can only grow if it's fun. If it's fun, people use it and then it pays the developers, right? Then the developers will develop more of it. And by the way, in that ecosystem, the worth of the token now will go up. But the value of the token is not based on speculation. It's based on how many people want to use and play the token and play the game, right? And so that's, again, the purest, purest mindset of how this should all play together. Okay, so you mentioned, I, th- I think you gave a lot of cool golden nuggets here, especially with what you just mentioned now with um, the idea of the token going up in value. So let's go into uh, the cryptocurrency aspect, because I think what's really made what you said, like cryptocurrency launch off in uh, because of the money making aspect, and it's kind of a created a market in itself. So how can listeners distinguish the types of cryptocurrencies that there's so many different coins out there? You mentioned that if it's backed by whatever blockchain, which blockchain you believe in, right? Um, and then what is the understanding behind that? If the coin that you're looking at, like, has it, does it have a purpose that it can help decide whether it's worth investing in? So, um, you know, like without being a completely really like if you're someone who's risk averse, like what's that one utility? Or what's, what's something that you would be looking out for? Maybe you've already answered that or you want to go into detail. Yeah, well, I tell everybody who has the slightest interest in crypto, go buy Bitcoin. Now, oh, I know what. There's also a misconception that people have to buy units of Bitcoin. So, for example, Bitcoin closed today at 23000 I don't have 23000 to buy Bitcoin. All right, your your listeners, your viewers should know that you can buy down to one Satoshi of a Bitcoin. Now, what is one Satoshi? You're going to have to go Google it. <laughs> but it's very, very small. Okay, so everybody on this call, they should they should go and, and you know, spend a little bit of money, uh, buy the crypto, see how a wallet works, right? And then practice sending all your monies to Georgian and Nirban in their show here, right? <laughs> And just, just to see how that works. I think that's the first thing. Another way they can get into play it is they can play with NFTs, right? And so, again, NFTs um, remove the customers from, from crypto and, uh, and, uh, and blockchain. Although some NFTs still require you to pay in crypto, a lot of NFTs now will take, will take good old-fashioned U.S. dollar. And so... Uh, but but that's another way for you to just kind of think about how you're basically passing digital information between two individuals, right? Uh, Bitcoin is just digital information that we assign a currency value. NFT is a is a, uh, a digital digital asset that has some sort of visual image that we we place a value on it. So okay, I want to get into this. I'm glad you brought this up because. I feel like right now, especially after we kind of had that quick bear market, now it's coming back up with the cryptocurrency, but NFT kind of had a bad light on it. So other people mentioned it's kind of like a pyramid scheme, possibly. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I've seen so many major companies, uh, big, big companies are getting into the space. And from my understanding, I see it as more of a, a ticket to get into uh, certain events or um, it's in some sort of ownership that you can get into. Exclu- you have more of exclusive rights to certain things. Is that on the right path of thinking, or is we have other applications? Yeah. So you, you, it's 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 on a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, NFTs are collectibles, right? And how do you value a collectible? That's not me. I don't know how to value collectible. All right. On the other end, NFTs are basically. Uh, 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 digital code that you can include a lot of different things on there. And so, yeah, so, uh, and, and the difference is that NFT, you can track, you can track uh, uh, the, that asset, right? Whoever gets it, that's that's one benefit is you can track it. So that means if I sell it, oh, so, so for example, one of the things is uh, reselling. So you buy a Dallas Cowboy ticket, and if you resell it, and then they resell it again, the Dallas Cowboys get zero. On an NFT, the Dallas Cowboys will continue to always get something. Ah, okay. So 
it's not a free lunch at Nirvana. <laughs> these tickets, these tickets, be careful. <laughs> it's still being controlled by the central authority, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you've made it this far into this episode, George and I want to give you a big thank you. It means a lot to us that you find our content valuable. And it will mean the world to us if you can share this episode with your family and friends. That would help this episode and future episodes discovered by many others who find this as valuable as you did. Again, thank you. And let's get back to the episode. I know you spoke of, um, you know, people kind of going to look up things and, you know, doing doing research. So just so to understand, like with crypto and blockchain comes the era of like the snakes oil salesman where people are you go on youtube do you want to make one one billion in 10 seconds and all of that so is there any verified source you can you can sort of like pass on to our listeners where they can go have that that research read and get that understanding so coinbase has has content that's very good for educating uh new new players um i think in general if you uh if you see anything that that Sounds too good to be true, George. It probably is, right? Uh, another another thing I want to clarify with your uh, viewers is a couple of misconceptions about blockchain. Uh, uh, one of the misconceptions about blockchain is that we can use blockchain for to disrupt a lot of existing industries, right? It turns out it's not as easy as we thought. Here's what I mean. One of the biggest benefits of blockchain, and Anirban talked about it at the beginning, is decentralization. All right. What well, turns out, there are very few apps that want decentralization. You and me, as a customer, if something, if if your if your uh, microphone breaks down, George, you want to be able to call somebody and say, "Hey, my microphone is broken. Can you send somebody over here?" Well, in a decentralized world, there's no guarantee somebody's going to pick up on the other side. So that's number one. And so this is based on some research that I've been working with on a colleague. Decentralization does not apply to most existing applications. Most people don't want that. Number two is immutability. Immutability means you put the data on a blockchain and nobody can change it. It's permanently there. Well, you know, on Bitcoin, that's perfect, right? Uh, Nearby, when I send you a Bitcoin, I don't want anybody saying I sent you. I thought I sent you 50, but but you only got 25 because somebody wrote something. None of that. That's perfect. But what if I accidentally put my healthcare records on, put your healthcare records online, George, and accidentally put that you had cancer when you were a kid? Now we go, oh, oh sorry, I didn't mean that. But it's on blockchain. It's immutable. Now, how are you going to change that? Well, now I'm going to have to re- put another another file for George, right? And now George is going to have two health records on the same. Very, very confusing. So what we have found in in, uh, in a research is that taking traditional business models and trying to blockchainize it is very, very hard. So what's the answer? Two things. The first answer is. You, you want to find business models that begin as digital. It, business models that begin, like, like, for example, some of the examples that you're talking about, that's why fintech is, such, is taking off, because, because it starts as a digital asset. But if you have to convert a physical asset to a digital asset using human beings, oh, now all bets are off, okay? And so, and so, so that's one. And then the second one, which I hope there are people on uh, listening uh, is is brand new business models that the world's never known before. That I believe is is where well one the, one of the examples that I like to talk about is you know in the state of Texas space is becoming a major major industry in in the state of Texas. Well, how how, how do you think we're going to pay for stuff when we travel to Mars? Do you think we're going to use the U.S. dollar? Do you think we're going to use the euro? No way. We're going to use a crypto backed by blockchain. So brand new business models that people can't even can't, can't even think about. That, I think, is where the future really, really lies with blockchain. And uh, but but we have to clean up the mess. And there's two messes. The first mess are v- the very smart and bright people 
who are using their technical superpowers, like I said, just to make a buck instead of trying to solve the world's problems. So we got to get rid of those people and bring the other people back. And then, and then the second one is we just need very creative people to come up with brand new business models that begin and end as digital, that start as digital and end as digital. That is where I see the future of blockchain. And that's why video games make sense, right? Video games start and end uh, as a digital product, if you will, or digital project. So, uh, Dr. Mack, that, that was a brilliant, brilliant response. So I guess my next question goes into, so when someone gets invested in understanding cryptocurrency, uh, they eventually run into the term or acronym DAO. Could you help someone who is new to this space understand what a DAO is? How does it work? It's pros, cons, in layman's terms. Got it. Very good. So a DAO, D-A-O is a DAO. It's Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It actually began as a purist movement, right? In the purist movement, you want to create a business or some sort of organization where there's nobody in charge. And so a DAO is a attempt to create a business where there's literally nobody involved. It's basically run by robots, okay? These robots sit on top of blockchain. And by now, George, you should say, ah, who's blockchain, <laughs> right? Don't, 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 don't just accept the word blockchain, right? You got to say, by the way, by the way, generally speaking, there are two types of blockchains. There are blockchains that are designed like Bitcoin blockchain. And these blockchains are all about transactions, 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 and transactions. The second type of blockchain are, 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 are very similar to Ethereum. And these are blockchains that try to do stuff, that actually do stuff. They, they call them smart contracts, but generally speaking, these are blockchains that try to do stuff. So most DAOs are on Ethereum or Ethereum-like blockchains. So in a perfect world, you would have these organizations that are basically transacting business, buying stuff, selling stuff, sending stuff, all this kind of stuff, and there's nobody in charge, and it's just a... It's just an automated, manu uh, automated machine. But again, what's the problem? We talked about this before. If something breaks, who do you call? So guess what? Most businesses, most business charters are controlled by the states. So there are this, uh, individual states in America right now that are trying to deal with how do you legalize a DAO as a legal organization? The state of Wyoming is, it has been uh, mentioned as a state that has gone the furthest in terms of developing a regulatory framework that supports a DAO. Texas is trying to get there. There's an organization called the Texas Blockchain Council that is trying to drive legislative change all right, so a lot of people don't know. Like, for example, if you and I wanted to do a startup, you have to say, which state do you want to form the, form the legal entity, right? Well, that state in its uh, legislation has to have the uh, uh, business legal framework to support whatever legal entity that you want to start. An example of that is something called a B corporation, a benefits corporation. This is basically a for-profit corporation that says, I don't want to maximize profit, <laughs> all right? A lot of states can't handle a B corporation because they don't know what to do with that, okay? And so a DAO is the same thing. But let's go back to what I said earlier. Let's assume we have these legal laws supporting DAOs. What happens if somebody breaks, something breaks? Who do you call, all right? And now, and then, of course, now they say, well, we're going to have a, a side contract, right? We have a side contract to a tech support organization and da-da-da-da-da. Well, then you're building back a, a centralized business. So one of my concerns about all this money and movement that is being spent in blockchain is that we're creating something that, that, it, that really we don't really need. So I don't know if we really need a DAO, <laughs> but nobody talks about that. They just say, let's just go create it. And now all these state legislations are trying to pass legislation. Okay, but do we really need it? I mean, 
maybe there are situations where we do need it. Uh, but uh, but again, you're going to have to handle some very uh, tough questions, which is, you know, what happens when uh, when it breaks, you know? So I'm sure they're discussing that right now, but that's an example of, uh, of how, how, how moving into a truly decentralized world sounds great, but it's very, very difficult to run in, in a business context. So what are your, what are your thoughts on, it just seems like real estate investing is such a big deal right now. And a lot of people in that realm are saying that, Hey, it'd be great to have a lot of the contracts that are being sent. You know, it would be much faster if we had digitized it on, on a blockchain and, you know, yeah. especially the, the smart contract term you mentioned, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think it's not a, like a possibility or it's nope. going to be, it's a, that is a high friction use case. Why is high friction? Think about all the people in between you, you looking at a home all the way to you actually signing the mortgage documents. Think about all the players in there. They all have a stake at keeping you out. And it has nothing to do with blockchain. It has to do with anything to disrupt them. Right. Think about healthcare records, you know, med- med- medical records. We've been talking about that for 30 years. Well, guess what? Because there's a lot of people in between the patient <laughs> and the record <laughs> that want to stay there. And that's why. And so so that has nothing to do with blockchain. It just has to do with entrepreneurship 101. That you don't want to go into an industry where it's, where it's inundated by status quo. Because they're going to fight you all the way. And if you truly are an a, a innovative, disruptive company, you won't make any. You won't. You won't make any uh, 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 true progress. That's why a lot of the innovations have to do with business models that never existed, and that's what I'm talking about. And I guess that kind of goes into my question. So, for going back to adoption, um, so do you see any issues with international business? Like, would that work on an international scale, or uh, or is there any sort of limitations you you, you can share? In theory, um, you, you know. If it's truly decentralized and, and all governments are hands off, then it should work. But we know governments are not hands off. So, so in the early days of crypto, three government entities were fighting to make money. The first one is the IRS. The second one was the SEC. And the third one was the FBI. All three legal entities were fighting to try to figure out how to get, get, get their piece of the, of the crypto transaction fees that were going around, right? And so, and that's in America, George. Can you imagine going overseas? How many, how many, how many people want their, you know, want their hands, you know, palms greased a little bit? And so, so, so it is. It's a very, very tough problem, except a nirvan in space. Because nobody owns space, George. Think about that. Who owns Mars? Nobody. So you think that's what's happening with the big, you know, billionaires that are now doing the space exploration projects? Like we're talking about the Bezos, the Elons, you know, is yeah, they're trying I mean, to get I mean, a yeah. on that now to eventually create an ecosystem. A- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, part of the strategy is to uh, colonize the moon and then to use the moon as the launch base to go to Mars. So that's why we're now flying back to the moon, exactly for that reason. And so, I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, again, you know, space travel, um, you know, and uh, things like weather balloons and stuff like that, you know, uh, you know we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't heard a lot about space in a while. And, uh, and, and I'm glad that it's, it's bringing back, uh, it's back in the public mind uh, because we, 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 there are problems on Earth, absolutely, all right. And um, but but I think that um, if if we uh, if we stop thinking about distant distant bigger bigger things, then then I think we we may short ourselves in terms of uh, uh, our future. So 
I know we went all the way to space and now talking about that, but I kind of want to bring it back down to especially creating that ecosystem. And I think one of the terms when I got into the crypto space or at least the blockchain space, um, the term mining, you know, a lot of people think it's literally so there's like computers working on uh, figuring out how to create cryptocurrency. It's kind of like that, I guess, the, the, the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So remember in the early, early days, we go back to the white paper again. And remember I talked about how uh, the Bitcoin blockchain in the paper, basically it assumed that people would donate their computers, right? To process all these transactions. And in return for donating your computer, you would get a crypto, a Bitcoin. That's what it was. That's, and, and, and what they did was they designed the Bitcoin software so that they don't, you don't get a Bitcoin too easy. So they make it so that, and basically it was a trick for you to donate more of your CPU time. Okay, you know, <laughs> think about it, right? I'm creating this system where it depends on free CPU time. Well, I'm going to make it a little bit harder. I'm going I'm to gamify it. I'm going to gamify it to make you addicted to try to do more and do more, do more. Well, that's called mining. So what's happened is, there's nothing wrong with mining because remember, mining is all these machines donating their CPU to process transactions on, uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain. But then the question becomes, what transactions? <laughs> Who's doing all these transactions, right? That's a great question, Nirvan. I don't know who these transactions are, who's doing all these transactions, because we know that you know it's not being regularly used in a lot of different places, right? And so that's why... Uh, I never really understand that these all these mining uh, is in all these mining, but but what what exactly are the transactions that they're trying to process? So I I don't have a good answer for that. The other thing I don't have a good answer for is now research has shown that the vast majority of Bitcoin are owned by whales. Whales is the term for mega Bitcoin owners, and they think it could be as small as four or five whales. And so there, you, so there's this opportunity to, uh, uh, to to manipulate the price and all those sorts of things. And so that's the other thing your your viewers should research is who owns the crypto in whatever crypto you're trying to find out uh, that you're trying to uh, buy, right? And see uh, and see where that is. By the way, uh, again, um, a lot of people think that uh, uh, blockchain, at least the Bitcoin blockchain, is uh, anonymous. Well, yes and no. All right. So, so the transactions, you, you you get a transaction ID. If I send a nearbound some money using the blockchain, that transaction goes onto the blockchain and there's an ID. All right. And then that ID goes to you. Well, guess what? I may not know a nearbound's name, but I know his ID number on blockchain. And that's how these FBIs track you down. And you know how they say, oh, we got, we got the money. That's how they do it. So, so you know, again, that's a false narrative where you say, oh, you're anonymous and you can get away with all sorts of stuff. All right. I'm not going to tell you how people do make it anonymous. You'll have to Google that. But generally speaking, that's how people, you know, they, they do bad things on blockchain and they get caught and they have to give the money back. You know, that's why the government is sitting on all these bitcoins. <laughs> I agree. I, I mean, your, your perspectives are so like they're so brilliant basically and i guess this all goes goes back to um i never an initial question about mining so you know with mining there's always been the negative connotation of like the the energy expended to mine and so is i mean can is there something you can share as to how that is being tackled yes yes so again uh in the early design of the bitcoin blockchain right i'm going to go to that because that's the first one what they did was they created software where a decision has to be made by 51% of the nodes, the computers, okay? And so basically what that means is when I send a Nirban some money, that transaction has to be verified by 51% of the computers on the Bitcoin blockchain. When in the early days, there were only 10 computers on the Bitcoin blockchain. But now there are 10 million computers on the Bitcoin blockchain and 5 million and one of them have to say, yep, that's a real transaction. That, you, know, that, you know, it's meant to be a, a, a security feature, right? But that security feature now has become cumbersome 
which which tells me that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto probably never thought it would get this big. Because if he really thought it through, he would say, there's no way it would take up so much electricity just to process these little little transactions, right? So that's where all the mining's coming from because, because of the way, and that's called proof of work, okay? So Ethereum comes out and says, well, we're not going to do proof of work. We're going to be a little bit more green friendly, and we're going to do something called proof of stake. Well, proof of stake basically means we're going to give people the more the more crypto you own, the more weight I'm going to give to you. If you say, yep, that's a real transaction. That's not a fake transaction. Again, that sounds great until now what happens? You give all these people who have all, all the crypto, you give them even more power. Does that make sense? Right. So how so so uh, uh, and so so how are startups trying to deal with this? One way some of the startups are dealing with it is what they're doing is they're, they're, when, when there's a transaction, what they're doing is the startup is approving the transaction before the blockchain approves the transaction. So I'm hedging my risk. So the benefit to you is you get immediately, you get an immediate transaction. You don't have to wait five minutes for all the computers to verify. The other one is I can tell Bitcoin blockchain, no hurry, no hurry. All right. And so on Bitcoin, by the way, Bitcoin blockchain, did you know you can pay Bitcoin blockchain fees to get to, to move your transaction to the top of the queue? Those are called transaction fees on Ethereum. That's called gas. All right. And so and so so there's so um, and so that's one of the ways that they're trying to do it, but that hasn't really worked yet. So now what people are doing is they're trying to use green energy. And maybe if they use green energy, uh, that that will be more uh, carbon friendly, right? Uh, but but there's no real good solution right now. What exactly an example of the green energy? Because so let's quickly go back. So when you said proof of stake, I think the best or maybe that resonated to me was the example of like everybody, whenever they decide to be on a, an Uber or Lyft, right? So you get the, you download the app. So whoever's on there gets um, the opportunity to get a ride share. But then let's just say if someone decides to pay a little more, so whoever the, the drivers are looking for, whoever paid a little more will get that ride more faster than the person who didn't pay, right? So it's, so it's similarly like the transaction is done much faster because they paid a little gas, right? Exactly. Very good. Very, very good example. Yeah. And yeah. So then how would you say like the green energy concept of like, what is an example of that? Sure, sure, sure. So, so here are, there are two ways to approach green energy or greener energy. One is to move your mining facilities to Alaska. And so part of the energy is not the mining, it's the cooling, uh. right? All these air conditioners, which, by the way, makes the air conditioning companies happy. <laughs> All right. So, so people are doing that. Uh, they're using liquid, liquid fill computers, right? So they're using water. So, so that's just computer cooling strategies, right? The other strategy is actually just use use electricity that were generated by uh, by green energy sources like wind. Or solar, so that's the other other strategies that they're doing as well. Yeah. So, do you think I, I know? Like, I went to Iceland and I've noticed uh, they're big on geothermal. Would that be an option too? They're like big on green energy there. Absolutely no. That's where they are. You 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 find all these uh, uh, mining companies in in the uh, uh, Norway and Sweden and, and places like that. Exactly for this reason. Yeah. Hey, um, this is an awesome conversation. Uh, before we close it out, I just want to know, you know, what have you been up to these days? I know you've been traveling a lot. You went to Portugal. Um, yeah, what, what's the news on there? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, uh, I have a class where we study how entrepreneurship is done around the globe, and then we actually pick a country and go see firsthand. And so, this is an MBA class. I just brought my students to Portugal, and uh, I didn't know this, but Portugal is considered a top one or two destination for American retirees. So a lot of Americans are moving out there. The other thing I didn't know, I actually know, the other thing I knew, and that's why I brought my class there, is that Portugal right now is aggressively trying to create an entrepreneurship ecosystem. 
they have decided to use immigration policy as their mechanism to do that. And so they are very, very, very open to, to people to get an, to, they call it an entrepreneur visa, to get an entrepreneur visa, uh, especially if it's in tech. Okay, so if you want to start a restaurant, they're not going to give you an entrepreneur visa. But if you want to start a restaurant tech company, then they'll give you an entrepreneur visa. And so that was pretty cool, seeing how aggressive uh, uh, Portugal is uh, is trying to, uh, um, you know, recruit recruit entrepreneurs. Uh, from there, then I traveled to, to Nice. I wanted to spend a little bit of time in Monaco and see where see the lifestyles of the rich and famous, and uh, and that that was a lot of fun. And then from there. I visited uh, Morocco, and that was a lot of fun too. Spent uh, spent the night, at New Year's Eve, in a tent in the in the desert with the camels. Uh, that's something I do recommend that you do, but only for one night and only once. <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> so so yeah. So again, it was it was a lot of fun traveling. Uh, but I'm back here uh, at SMU in Dallas, Texas, right now, and we're we're having a good time. Uh, teaching students to to be more entrepreneurial. Nice. And I also wanted to congratulate in front of the viewers that um, you guys opened the third uh, Institute of Entrepreneurship at SMU. So, you know, it's a huge win. Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's the third entrepreneurship center in, in a business school. So Harvard has two entrepreneurship centers, but only one in the business school and one for everybody else. We have three entrepreneurship centers in the business school. And so we believe that that's going to create all sorts of new learning opportunities uh, for our students here in the business school. And, uh, and it's, it's a very, very exciting and, and looking forward to new and cool things from, from all three of the uh, centers. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I just feel like after the pandemic with the great migration, I just feel like Texas has been booming. It's been booming with budding entrepreneurs and new businesses coming out. So this is perfect for you guys. Great place to be. Great place to be. And, and, uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm very blessed. And feel very fortunate to uh, to do what I do. Hey, again, thank you for being on the show and sharing your thoughts about this. It's been a phenomenal conversation. I think you really helped let the viewers understand what blockchain is and also cryptocurrency. Uh, how can our listeners get connected with you? All right, you can uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Prof Smack. Uh, and uh, so those are the three places that you can keep in touch with me, uh, Instagram, Twitter, and also my LinkedIn account. And uh, I hope I get a chance to meet some of your viewers. And speaking of our listeners and viewers out there, thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, it would really help us out if you can leave us an honest five-star review on your favorite podcast listening platform. By the way, let us know in the comments below, do you think that the cryptocurrency and blockchain is the future of finance? Also, it will be awesome if you can share this episode with your family and friends. That would help gain traction for this episode and our channel. And finally, don't forget to look good feel good, and do good. See you at the next episode. Bye, y'all.